You know, as 12 a.m. hit on Wednesday morning, though it was dark and we would probably still consider it night, we not only changed a day and not only changed a month and not only changed a year, but we changed a decade. Did you hear about the twins that were born in Indiana and one was born just before midnight and one was born after midnight and they were not only born in different months and different years, but in different decades? I I mean, just uh, think about that. I, I don't know what the last decade held for you and how it turned out. And I don't know what the next decade is going to look like for any of us, but I do know that we have today. And as we think about our life, we plan, we trust God, we work, we serve, we move forward until the day he calls us home. Our theme for 2020 centers around we care. We're going to focus on different areas in which we care. We care first and foremost about the gospel. We care about people. We care about the faith that was once delivered to the saints. We care about the family and we care about the future. And as we move through 2020 and we think about this aspect of we care, God is going to give you opportunities to show his love and care through your life in ways maybe you never would have anticipated. God's going to lead a person across your path to minister to. God, God's going to open a door of, of sharing your testimony and faith in Jesus with someone this year. Are you ready? I want to challenge us this year to think about caring about the gospel, but not only caring about it, being partners together in it. So take your Bibles and turn me to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse number 3, but keep your Bible open because we're going to kind of focus on the whole uh, first uh, 11 verses. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And with that, let's pray. God, would you speak to us today? Would you move in our hearts? Give us a vision of being a partner to share the only news that can bring eternal change, the gospel. Your name, amen. Somewhere between 49 and 51 A.D., Paul had a vision of a man in the area of Macedonia as Paul is seeking God's will. And he says, come here, come over here. And so Paul goes into Macedonia and there ends up in the city of Philippi. He then meets a woman named Lydia who is having a prayer meeting down by the river. He begins to share the message of the gospel with her. And it tells us in Acts chapter 16 that the Lord opened up her heart that she had a life change. She came to know Jesus personally. 
Then as Paul and Silas continued their ministry in the city of Philippi, there is a demon-possessed girl who begins to yell around them, hey, these men are servants of the Most High. These men are servants of the Most High and hindering their ministry. Paul cast that demon out of her. And with that, because the girl was a fortune teller and a loss of income, meant that Paul and Silas would be arrested, they would be beaten, they would be thrown into prison, and there, at midnight, they would praise the Lord. After being beaten, after being imprisoned, after being put in stocks, They're praising the Lord at midnight. And you remember what happens? An earthquake begins to shake the jail and the chains fall off and the jailer thinks, oh, these prisoners have escaped and because they've escaped, they're going to take my life. And so he's ready to draw the sword and kill himself. And Paul says, hey, we're all here. And he asks that question, what must I do to be saved? And Paul replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. And that jailer took him home and the gospel was shared with the jailer and with that family. And they trusted Jesus as their savior and they professed their faith through baptism. That was the beginnings of the church in Philippi. Now we are about 10 to 12 years later. We're about 62 AD and Paul is imprisoned in Rome. And now he's riding back to that church at Philippi. No doubt they have him locked up, but they can't lock up his mind and they definitely can't lock up his heart. He loves these people. And as he writes to them, he writes an amazing letter that resonates with a sense of love and appreciation and partnership in the gospel. But as I was looking at this and thinking about Paul being in prison, notice with me, Paul begins the letter and he's writing to the saints and the bishops uh, and and the deacons there in Philippi. And he writes this, notice in, in those first couple of verses, he writes grace and peace to you. And then in verse number three, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, making my request for you with joy. And then down in verse number eight, he says, how I desire to see you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then in verse number nine, he begins to pray. I don't know about you, but this just hit me yesterday and just was really driven home to me. It's not in your notes. But yesterday, this just hit me. As Paul is facing a difficult circumstance in his life, he does not write and complain. He does not write and bellyache. Instead, in his adversity, he uses it as a time of ministry. And notice what he does. And I underline these words in in my preaching Bible, which I very seldom mark in. I mark in my study Bibles, my devotional Bibles. but, But I underline these words. Grace. And peace. How does Paul respond in this adversity? He extends grace and peace. He gives thanks, verse number three. He prays for them with joy, verse number four. He shows his affection in verse number eight. And he prays for them in verse number nine. This year, you're going to have some people in your life 
who wittingly or unwittingly in their unhappy state are going to try to pull them down. I pull you down to join them because misery loves company. In this year, you're going to face some circumstances that are quite uncomfortable and quite difficult. Maybe it'll be a physical challenge or a financial challenge. Maybe there'll be relational issues. But you're going to face some form of adversity this year. And Paul takes the moment of adversity in his life, and instead of spouting out, instead of complaining, instead of of crying out how life isn't fair and sometimes people are really mean, he uses his adversity as a time of ministry to extend grace and peace and thanksgiving and joy and affection and prayer. Can I challenge you for 2020? There would be something amazing if we in the body of Christ would say, no matter what adversity I face this year, instead of complaining or pouting or getting mad and, and, and spouting off, I'm going to extend grace and peace and thanksgiving and joy and affection and prayer. People would look around and say, man, what's the matter with those people? What is up with that? They, they, they're, they're not acting, quote, right. They don't fit into the societal norm. I wonder, what would it look like if we decided this year on our calendar, as a daily reminder, we would write grace, peace, thanksgiving, Joy, affection, prayer. And that every day we would seek to show those qualities in our life. That's what Paul does. And Paul is primarily interested in that word fellowship in the gospel. We just read it there in verse number five. He's thankful for their fellowship in the gospel. That word fellowship is a picture of partnership. And as partners, and as partners in the body of Christ, and as partners as part of this church, there are certain things that we care about. And I want us to think through those this morning as we think about the things that we, as partners in the gospel, and as co-laborers with Christ, and as those who have an, uh, an, an opportunity to impact others, what are the things we should care about? First off, we care about the message of the gospel. We care about the message of the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, you know that the gospel means good news. Good news. The word gospel means good news. Well, what is that good news? The good news is that God stepped into humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sin. He rose again from the dead. And through Jesus Christ and him alone, we can be reconciled to have a right relationship with God that not only takes place in this life, but takes place for all eternity. We can be changed. The message of the gospel over in Uh, In Romans chapter 1, Paul would write to the church in, in Rome and he'd say, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power of salvation. The gospel is the good news that says you can be forgiven of your sin. 
You can have a fresh start in your life. You can experience the freshness of God in your life every day. And you can be secure that your eternity in heaven is nailed down completely and without fear. We care about the message of the gospel. I don't know about you, but around this time of the year, a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. And today is January the 5th, so probably... You know, about half of the people who've made those have already blown it. But there's still 360, 61 days, I guess, this year. It's a leap year. But think about New Year's resolutions. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to exercise more. I, uh, I'm going to quit gossiping. I'm going to quit wasting so much time on the computer. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to do random acts of kindness. I'm going to not, not stay on my phone so much. People set resolutions. I tell you, resolutions can be good. They can make a difference in your life. But let me tell you, the only thing that can make a difference for eternity is the gospel. I mean, you can reform your life. You can quit spending so much time on the phone. Or you could say, I'm going to quit gossiping. Or you could say, I'm just going to be a nicer neighbor. But the only thing that's going to bring an eternal change in someone's life is the message of the gospel. We care about the message of the gospel. That is, Jesus died, Jesus rose for our sin, and we can have a relationship with God. Not only do we care about the message of the gospel, we care about the about unity in the gospel. We care about this sense of unity. Now, notice who Paul writes to. Because he's writing to all the saints and to the bishop and the deacons. Notice in in verse number one. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. There's this picture about unity. That this church is standing together and and he's writing to all y'all. That's the picture. And as he, he makes mention of, I remember all of you are you all in my prayer. I, I thank God upon every remembrance of you all plural. It, it's that picture. There's a sense of unity that everyone is on the same page. You've got a jailer over here whose life has been radically changed. You have Lydia over here who was a seller of purple and probably quite wealthy at that time. You have people who were influenced by Lydia and maybe they were of the, the upper echelon. Maybe that Philippian jailer went back and reached some people who were in prison. So now you have rich people and you have prisoners, and yet Paul writes to all of them and gives thanks for all of them. Why? Because the foot of the cross is equal. No one is too good. No one is too rich. No one is too poor. No one is too bad. No one has sinned too much. When you come to Jesus, there is this sense of unity in which we come together, all of us proclaiming it is by Jesus that we can be saved. It is not by our works. It is not by giving. It is not by teaching. It is not by attending. It is not by going through a religious ritual of of, of communion or baptism or church membership or a class. It is by trusting Jesus alone. And when we trust him, we are are welcomed and adopted into his family, which makes all of us brothers and sisters in Christ. So let me throw a challenge to some of you today. Some of you 
need to take that profession that you say, I know that I believe in Jesus Christ. You need to take that a step further this year. And you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism and get united as a church member. Some of you today, you need to become a partner in growth. And you need to get in a Bible study class and begin growing with a group of people and fellowshipping with a group of people. You need to become a partner in growth. Profess your faith? Yes, it's important. Partner in growth? Yes, we learn together. We worship together. We study together. We pray together. It's important. That's an important step in your life. Some of you need to get into ministry. That, that, that means that you need to find a place to serve. That, that you need to say, hey, I'm, I'm willing to serve somewhere. I, I can pass out a bulletin. I can sing in the choir. I'm, I'm willing to serve somewhere. I'm not just going to be a, a partner in growth and say, I'm going to come to worship and I'm going to come listen to a Bible study teacher, but I'm going to participate then in ministry and seek to make a difference and seek to encourage others in the faith. That's unity. We all work together. We all do our part. We come together. We worship together. We serve together. And then we go together. We care about unity in the gospel. But then Paul, as he begins in verse number three, and he begins to thank God for them, we find that we're to care about partnerships in the gospel as well. Notice with me in verse number five, where he says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Fellowship is that picture of partnership, that we're in this together. It actually is the, the word for uh, fellowship, koinonia. It's that fellowship that we as believers share together. But there's this picture that it goes further and that we're not just coming to church to fellowship and sit down at a table and eat with somebody or just opening our Bibles together. No, it's a partnership in which we serve together. So the picture is, is that as believers, once we come to know Jesus, then he begins to work in our life and we begin to care about the things he cares about so that we care together. We care together. That the picture is, is that, that Jesus, when he comes into our life, then the things that he cares about begin to impact our heart, and the things that we care about then begin to come to the forefront, and touching people with the gospel is essential. We care together. And then we not only care together, but we share together. We share. We share ministry. We don't ask one person to do everything. We don't ask 10 people to do the work of 600. But if everyone would just do their part, if everyone would just say, I'm willing to, to step in and fill a gap here or here or here or here. If anyone would just evaluate their life and say, man, this, God's really given me a heart for this area. We share together, but not only in ministry, but we share together the message of, gospel, of the gospel with the world. Down in verse number 12 and following of Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes how in prison he begins to share with all of the palace guard. And what that sharing has done is that it is encouraged and brought confidence to others in the church at Philippi and others around him to share their faith as well. It's important to share our faith. Do, do you really believe? Do you really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? 
Do you really believe that people without Jesus are lost? Do you really believe that people without Jesus who are lost spend an eternity away from God? And we say, Lord, we care, we care. But do we share? And then we take that next step and we grow together. Listen, we grow. We grow. Notice in verse number six, being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you, he's going to bring it to completion. God started something in you, and now he wants you to grow and to fulfill all that he has for you. Let me, let me just ask, and I'm going to get downright personal right here. Do you have a plan to read your Bible? This year, 2020? Because this is what's going to happen. If you don't have a plan to read your Bible, you're not going to read your Bible. Out in the foyer, you can pick up an Old Testament guide, a New Testament guide. One chapter a day in the New Testament, beginning tomorrow, you can read through the whole New Testament this year. Someone wrote me the last week of December and said, I made it. Listen, one chapter a day. I I know some of you are busy. I know some of you are very busy. I'm saying 10 minutes. Some days a little less, some days maybe a little bit more. 10 minutes. Do you have a plan to grow this year? Is there anyone that that you really feel like, I really want to have an impact on them this year? Not just on my mind, but, but to actually write their name down and begin to pray for them. Or tell someone else, hey, would you pray for me as I seek to reach my neighbor? I seek to touch my grandchildren. I seek to influence my parents. Do, do you have a plan? Because I'm telling you, if we don't have some kind of plan or thought process in place, the whole year will slide by. Have you ever had one of those days? Busy day. You get up a little bit late. Man, you're rushing to get where you need to go. The whole day, you're just always behind. You finally get to that point. You eat some dinner. You collapse in front of the TV for a few minutes. And before you know it, man, you're like... And you go get yourself in bed... And you realize, I just missed a day without Jesus. I missed a day in my Bible. I missed a day in prayer. And then you know what happens? Same thing happens the next day. And we begin this vicious cycle. And then a week goes by. And then a month goes by. And then a quarter goes by. And then half the year goes by. And we realize now, good night, you know. My Bible study, it's July, and I'm on January 27th. I might as well just give up. I tell you, don't give up and don't quit. If you have to pick up January 27th in July, don't use that as an excuse. Pick it up. Go at it. Actually, if you read two chapters a day during just the second half of the year, you'd still catch up and read the whole New Testament. The, the picture is, is, is God is going to work in us to grow, but we've got to be at work at it too. We care about partnerships in the gospel. We want to care together and share together and grow together. As we think about life and ministry, one of the great joys of my life is watching people grow. Watching people say, praise the Lord, I made it through the New Testament. See a boy or girl come to confess and profess Jesus as their Savior and get baptized. Watch a Student, say, hey, I shared with somebody at my school. That's the joy. 
That's what we celebrate. That brings us reason to celebrate around the greatness and the glory of who Jesus is. Then notice what happens in verse number nine as Paul kind of then turns the corner and he begins to pray for them. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Number four, we care about bearing fruit. We care about bearing fruit because of the gospel. If Jesus has made a difference in me, then I want to bear fruit. I want to bear fruit. Paul begins to pray for them in verse number nine. In, in verses seven and eight, Paul prays, or Paul shares about how much he loves them. And then in verse number nine, he begins to pray for them. You know, it's interesting when you start thinking and looking for uh, illustrations on prayer. Because I found one that was very uh, odd and quite interesting uh, from a country singer whose name is Jaron Lowenstein. And he has written a song called I Pray For You. It was actually uh, put out about 10 years ago. The first video was made January of 2010, but I had never heard of the song. And it was just in an obscure way that I heard about it. But, but this is his song. The verse, first verse says, I haven't been to church since I don't remember when. Things were doing great till they fell apart again. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. You can't go hating others who have done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job. Just pray for them. So he's going through a breakup with a girlfriend, and uh, he goes to church and hears the preacher say, just pray for them. And so this is his chorus, and this is the prayer. I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray your, all your dreams never come true. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. Well... Like I said, when you go look for a story or something on prayer, you might find something quite odd. I had never heard that song, and uh, anyway, pretty much glad I hadn't. But uh, anyway, but now I've shared in my misery with all of you. You can Google it and listen to it, by the way. So, Paul, as he prays for this church, he shares his love and affection for them. He longs to see them. And he prays that they will bear fruit. That primary fruit that he wants them to bear is love. He says, I pray that your love would increase or abound more and more. Have you ever left your sprinkler on too long or you left, you were going to water something and then you left it on too long? And you not only watered it, but then you saturated it and then it started moving to the neighbor's house. You know what I'm saying? The water, so much water. That, that's the picture here. I pray, you're showing love in the church of Philippi, but I pray that your life would just be absolutely and completely saturated with love. He prays that their love would come out through their character, 
their character. He's, he's praying for, for that. Notice what he, he prays in, in verse number 9, that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, that they would live with integrity and love God and love others and live it out in such a way that they wouldn't rejoice in the things that are evil, but only approve of the things that are, are good and excellent as Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8 is going to tell us just in a, in, in, in a few weeks. We get this picture. I'm praying for your love. I'm praying for your love to come out through character. And then I'm praying for your love to come out through service, that you would bear fruits of righteousness, that you would seek to bless someone, that you would seek to be a blessing to others. In a world in which everybody wants, 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 give me, give me, give me, can you be a person who says, look, I'm, 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 I just want to be a blessing to others that are around me. I want to help and encourage. In a world where, where so much around us is so negative and so charged and so filled, man, I just want to be a refreshing voice to bring encouragement and hope and inspiration, and kindness, and gladness. That's the picture. We did that just a couple of weeks ago. The fruit of love and service was shown. Two weeks ago, Rusty Ford and his wife Jennifer uh, came. They're missionaries in Seville, Spain. They have four children, Levi and Hudson are the oldest. They're the boys. You can't hardly see them in that that picture, but uh, then they have two girls as well. And as we think about their family, with the International Mission Board, they're able to come home about every three and a half to four years. And with children that size, you know, things change so much in three and a half or, or four years. And they paid for themselves to come back from Spain to the United States to spend a few weeks at Christmas. And so I just said, look, the Lord's burdened on me that we should help them. Can I tell you? Our church gave them over $4,000. That's amazing. And I, I just put a little gift bag here in the front. Listen, that's seeking to be a blessing to others. That's seeking to share the love and kindness of Jesus with others. Now, in a couple of weeks, it's Sanctity of Life Sunday. We, because Genesis chapter 1, we know that God created... We believe that life is precious. We believe that God's creation is precious. We believe that babies are precious. We believe unborn babies are precious. And we believe delivered babies are very precious as well. And you know, some mothers who have gone through a, a difficult time, and it, it would be easy, an easy way out for them just to choose abortion. They choose life. And then they need somebody like us to come alongside. So... In two weeks, we're going to partner with the Missouri Baptist Children's Home. And so in two weeks, we're going to ask you to bring some diapers because the Missouri Baptist Children's Home works with unwed mothers, and they need diapers. And they work with foster families who take these little babies in. And they need diapers. Listen, it's one thing for us to say, hey, we're pro-life, but let's be pro-life and proactive to help the lives that we can for those who have chosen life. So in a couple of weeks, Russ Martin is going to share just for a few minutes in our service, and then we're going to collect diapers. Now, listen, they need diapers and wipes. 
I know everybody likes to think about the little babies. Ooh, one in, you know, size one, size two. They need some little bit bigger diapers, okay? They need some threes and fours and fives, okay? Uh, they don't get as many as, uh, of those. But if you could bring some diapers and whites, that's just a way that you can bring a, be a blessing. That, that's what we're about. We want to show that we care. We care about our missionaries who are on the field. We have 3,700 missionaries on the field. Rusty and Jennifer just happen to have a relationship with us through GIC, through their proximity in this area, and we want to bless and encourage them. The Missouri Baptist Children's Home is right around the corner. Man, they're impacting lives here in Missouri, and we want to show that we care. That's what it's all about. That's what we as a church want to do. But but we want to take that care and concern and not just say we as a church, but then me as an individual. As I walk out of this door and I step into Walmart or I see the need of my neighbor or I see someone hurting here, then I have to care. I have to care. We care about bearing fruit, showing love and character and service. And then notice at the very end of that prayer, we care about the glory of God as we live the gospel. Notice, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Can I tell you, it's just not about you, it's not about me, and it's not about us. It's just not. It's about him. He gets all the glory. That's why you were created in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 11. Jesus is worthy to receive honor and glory and power for he created all things and by their, by his will, they exist and were created. He deserves the honor and the glory and the power. And so listen, I close with this. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this. Whatever you do, whether in word or, or, or whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whether we're sitting down to have a meal or we're sitting across with a neighbor in need, we do it all to his honor and glory. We care for his glory. We care because he cared. We care because he loved us so much that we want to show his love and share his glory with our neighbors and with the nations, with our community and beyond our community. We care to the honor and glory of Jesus.